What's up, everybody? It is Monday, January 30th, I believe. Yes, it is. 2017. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is the Monday Morning Analyst here on MMAFighting.com. Thank you so much for watching. I appreciate it. Uh, on today's program, three parts to it, as always. We overview of the weekend's action, look at something in particular in the second one, and then take a look at what's ahead in the third segment, uh, which will be very, very brief, of course. Uh, this week, UFC fight, excuse me, UFC on Fox, I should say, 23, and then Bellator 171, just a quick mention of a couple of fights over there. Um, there was also, before we get to that, there was also Submission Underground th uh, 3. I did not see the Danis versus Agazarm match, uh, although Danis won. The two things that stand out to me were uh, Mendez submitting Jeff Glover quicker than Glover could submit Mendez in overtime, so Mendez beating Jeff Glover. And then did you guys see Shoeface, Antonio Carlos Jr., flying triangle of Gary Tonin. Now, he had a considerable size advantage heading into that match, but um, he uses small man jiu-jitsu. A big guy with small man jiu-jitsu is a dangerous guy. Frank Mir's another one of those kinds of guys, too. So, um, great win. Check those out on Flow Grappling or wherever you can see the results. Just want to give those guys a shout-out for um, a strong event. Okay, so we will get to first UFC uh, on Fox 23. Um, this took place. Let me pull up my wiki information here, as I'm supposed to do before this thing got started, and I forgot I had it down. UFC on Fox 23 took place at the Pepsi Center in Denver, Colorado. Had an attendance of 13,323 for a gate, and all these uh, Fox gates work out to about the same for a gate of about a million dollars, uh, 20,000 um, plus. It was headlined by Valentina Shevchenko, who defeated uh, Juliana Pena via armbar at 4.29 of the second round. Man, we're going to take a look at this more in the uh, second segment. Just, I have to say, I thought that it was great to see Amanda Nunes um, there with the champion in the cage after the fact. Um, Pena didn't look bad. I don't think this was a bad performance for her. It's just ultimately, I don't know if she slept on uh, Valentina Shevchenko. I don't know if we all slept on Valentina Shevchenko, to be to be fair. But um, it was just that armbar was great, and it was tight, and uh, Pena's defense for it was just a little bit too little, a little bit too late. So it was a tough loss for her, um, but, but it puts Shevchenko in the driver's seat about getting a title shot. Seems like they want to do it. The ratings were not great. Overnight's about a shade over $2 million. Um, that is not good for a January show, but in fairness, um, you know, look, if you beat Ronda Rousey, that confers popularity benefits. If you beat the fighters who beat Ronda Rousey, uh, that certainly carries some positive benefits, both professionally and in terms of popularity, but um, it's not nearly the same. You don't get the same amount of rewards from it as a consequence, so... Um, it did not do all that great in the ratings, and the main event started relatively early and ended before the end of the second round. I think it was only just a shade past 10 o'clock um, when, the, when the fight ended, so I don't know how much the ratings are going to go up. But Shevchenko, man, she has gone in there, and you, everyone was remarking how much smaller she looks than Amanda Nunes. Yeah, she's a natural flyweight, bantamweight. She can, you know, has to cut to make that too, but if she, I think if she really had her choice, she would fight uh, at, at 125. If that was a developed division, she could get a lot of fights and, and, and compete in. That's that's where she beat, for example, Ioana and Jacek in uh, a, a Muay Thai match. So just keep that in mind. She's the real deal Holyfield, and that was a strong win. We'll take a look at more of that uh, in the second segment. So that's that. Uh, Jorge Masvidal defeating Donald Cerrone at one minute of the second round. Man, a lot to get to with this one. Here's the first thing I'd say about it. Jorge Masvidal really is 
Uh, we always knew he was well-rounded. The big knock on him, as it was mentioned on this broadcast and other places, was just that he just didn't have enough urgency with the way he competed. And boy, he is doing that now. That jab I went back and watched, that was a key weapon. He f- constantly put it in the face of Don Cerrone. Now, Don Cerrone was doing really well, too. Don Cerrone doing a lot of inside cut kicks this time in a way that he previously had not. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And they were landing. But here's the truth about Donald Cerrone. I guess this is what they must have picked up on. I went back and I watched the fight again this morning. Um, and, and and Brian Stan had kind of alluded to it, but it looks to me like what the problem with Cerrone was, or at least what Masvidal's team honed in on, was the idea of defense at the end of kicks. You know, a lot of times we had noted that Don Cerrone puts himself in safe positions to not be countered with kicks, and in this one, it looked like what happened was one strike, one punch, wouldn't necessarily connect, but if you could put two or three behind it, then you could. So what you saw was, one, he would attack at the end of any kind of kicking uh, offensive maneuver from Cerrone, and then at the end of his own, right? If he could get Cerrone to freeze and block, if if he threw one, two, three more behind that, uh, one of them would land, and he was going body head, he was going high low, you know, leg kick, head kick, or leg kick, uh, you know, uh, overhand rights, so whatever the case. Like he was doing a lot of different combinations like that. So it was both directions. It was if Cerrone threw, the hands were kind of down, and if he can get him to freeze in space, uh, he would do that as well. It wasn't like Cerrone was throwing and exiting. It wasn't like Cerrone was throwing but keeping really strong, you know, defense at the end of his combinations. And and uh, Mazadal made him pay, charging into the pocket. And another thing I noticed was he was raising his own front leg, sort of like a tie style, and using that push kick. And I thought about what that was for. Yes, it was to establish distance. And yes, it was to get Cerrone's hand to come down. Because if he could get his hand to come down, um, he could counter there. Or if he could get him to bring his hand down, he could throw another leg kick and then use that to follow up with a punch. Like the, in other words, the front kick was just sort of this um, uh, bait to get him in the habit of doing that. Plus, I think it was to get him to back up. He wanted to keep moving forward. So it, was, it wasn't just that he wanted to keep... A lot of times people talk about the teep as like, oh, keep distance from them so we can fight at this range. That's not exactly how uh, Masvidal was using it. A little bit, yes, but it had more functions than that. It doesn't really get talked about. Um, great, great win for Jorge Masvidal. Cerrone looked okay in this one up to a point. Now let's talk about that uh, stoppage. I went back and watched it again. It is a very confused protocol from Herb Dean. Uh, my initial impression after the fight was he stopped it a little bit too early and then waved and then changed his mind a little bit later. And that's sort of true, but it's much more compact. Which is, I went back and I watched it. Here's what happens that goes wrong. Dean steps in before the bell sounds, separates them after it looked like Cerrone had gone um, into the land of wind and ghosts and waves with his other hand. Like, you never really see referees sort of call it off that way with this clear signal unless they're stopping a fight. So he jumps in and does that. Now, here's the weird part. As soon as Masvidal and Cerrone stood up and he kind of backs up and not exactly pulls them to the ground, but encourages them to get up, he looks at him and says, the round's not over. The round's not over. So, like, his first verbal instruction to them after that was that the round wasn't over. And if you turn your TV up real loud, you'll hear... Um, Dean, I guess, either talk to the commission or some other person in the cage or outside the cage and say, uh, um, what does he say? Something to the effect of, uh, the bell sounded rounds not over. So it's weird. His physical act jumped in before the bell, waves the hand, then turns to the fighters and gives them verbal instructions immediately 
that the round wasn't over. It's a very confused stoppage. I think, I think in the worst case, I should say best case scenario, that's what I would call it, confused. But you can have an even worse take on it than that one. It was not not great work from Herb Dean in this particular context. Uh, Francis Ngannou defeated Andre Arlovsky at 132 of the first round. This was absolutely vicious and brutal in ways that are hard to overstate, man. Um, I went back and watched it. He shifts and throws an overhand left backwards. He does pivot off the right to throw the right and catch him, so there was power being driven into it, but it was hardly ideal, and it lifted Arlovsky off of his feet. Um, Arlovsky now four losses in a row for the second time in his career, and I think he's, what, 37 years old, so he's got some serious questions to ask himself about how much longer he wants to do this. As for Nganu, I mean, there's so many positive things you can say about him. I don't think he's the quickest guy, necessarily. Like, he is super strong and athletic, but not super speedy. Um, but the only thing for me that we didn't really get a great answer to, and I, you know, everyone's like, he doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. Yes, he does. We need to know the full extent of his cardio and we need to know the full extent of his wrestling until someone gets in there and puts it on him in that way. I, I cannot definitively declare it to be a liability, but it's a question mark about what his liabilities could be. It's unresolved is how I would describe it. But when it comes to the striking man, he does not have to do much to put it on you. So, um, very, very excited about his progress as a fighter and about his future. Only 30 years old as a heavyweight, he, he could have a lot of years left if things keep going well for him. Jason Knight defeating Alex Caceres. I keep calling him Caceres. Uh, whatever, it's fine, I don't care. 4 421 of the second round. Man, you know what's interesting about this fight? I went back and I watched it again this morning. Caceres, Caceres was looking good. He was looking really good. I went back and go back and watch the first round through most of it. Um, he's slipping to the outside of all the punches, landing one of his own, landing that double punch where the body punch comes just before the head punch. Uh, all those were coming in. He was, and, and as Brian Stan was noting, exiting at angles. He was doing really well at great defensive head movement and counters. And he was, you could just tell Jason Knight wasn't necessarily getting tuned up, but he wasn't quite on that level. It was a, it was a good, I won't say super strong, but a good performance from Caceres early in that first round. Then, of course, things turned the table when, uh, from the body lock bump and drop that Jason Knight got and then effortlessly took the back, yanked Casaros uh, off of his base all the way backwards. wasn't enough to close the show in the first round, but you could see, boy, on the back, he's he's got a lot of gifts. Man, he just easily fits into that. He's got a nice body type, Jason Knight does, for back control. You can see it's a position of strength. He can get the body lock and do something with it. He can get the insteps on the far side hips. He can do a lot, man. He's really, really naturally gifted there um, in ways where you know he, he'll, he'll bang it out on the feet with you, and he's not a fish out of water necessarily, but he swims just much better on the back. That's just where his his abilities lie. And, um, you know, that finish he had, I wouldn't call it Tito versus Son, and there, that was a little bit different. But if you notice, some of the things are the same on that side hip, hands tucked behind the head, so where someone can't really hand fight. It was more chest to back where versus chest to ear on Tito versus Chael, but, you know, not altogether dissimilar, uh, uh, relatively the same. You could just tell um, on that chin he doesn't – I mentioned this before on my, on my personal post-fight wrap-up. Um, I'm not calling him Demi and Maya, but what I would say is, you know, guys who can finish over the chin like that, Braulio Estima, uh, Marcelo Garcia, Demi and Maya, Gunnar Nelson – Jason Knight's not on that level as a grappler, but guys on that level do that kind of thing, right? He's got, he's just got in that domain, in that space, on the back, working for things, 
boy, he really excels. He shines. It's a natural fit for him. You can tell he spends a lot of time there. He can good. He's good on back takes and maintaining proper positioning, mixing in strikes, mixing in subs. He's relentless with his attacks. Like he just has a lot of ability there. It'll be interesting to see how he progresses on the main on the prelim card, which was frankly dreadful. Sam Alvey defeats Nate Marquardt in by unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Terrible fight. Rafael Sunsau defeating Aljamain Sterling, split decision, 28-29, 29-28, and then 29-28. This was a very tough fight to call. My initial impression about this one, and it was reconfirmed upon second viewing, was there was more movement and more dynamism. And we usually on this podcast say the more dynamic offensive fighter is going to be the winner, but not always, because I just don't know how much impact the offense was having really in in actuality how effective was it and that's a hard question to answer what do you mean by effective did it land hard should affect uh, effective uh, offense it should damage that doesn't really slow you down but looks bad and is bad but you're so tough it doesn't really change the way you fight how, how, how do we how do we measure that how do we how do we give weight to that it's very, very difficult. Uh, Sun Tzu didn't land as much, but when he did, it was a little bit harder, especially with punches to the head. Um, he was able to put a, li- a few combinations together. Um, Aljamain Sterling did more, but I don't know if he did enough. If you scored it for him, I think that's fair. Split decision sounds about right in many ways. I, don't, I, I think there are reasonable interpretations either way here. But for Sterling, you know, he's a guy who was winning via submission, and you can tell he's getting better at striking, no, no doubt about it. But just being able to really be lethal with it, it's not quite there yet, you know. Uh, and to be, more, he was fighting too much at range where he just couldn't have enough impact. You got to get in, you got to slug it out a little bit sometimes. Uh, easier for me to say in this position than it is to you know, tell pro fighter that. But if you're losing the fight, and I understand he probably thought he won, and again, you can make a case that he won. But if you're trying to find a reason why you lost, yes, maybe the judges got it wrong, sure. But maybe the other part is that there was just a little bit more mustard that could have been put on that stuff. And it wasn't there. Uh, Li Jiang Lang having a crazy fight with Bobby Nash via KO punches. This one went back and forth. He nearly got finished with a no-hook um, a uh, no hook rear naked choke at 441 of the second round was when the fight was ended, of course. Uh, but he was able to get out of it. You know the, that, that fight, that sequence there, because that was a super tight choke, but it had no hooks. That's a lesson in why you can get a no-hook rear naked choke. It's possible you can get a bulldog choke, which is a similar variety of it, but it's just hard because the body can move around, right? So, uh, but a nice win by Li Jiang Lang. I, I don't know how far he can go as a welterweight, but uh, it was a spirited performance to say the least. Jordan Johnson having a nice debut against Henrique De Silva. Henrique De Silva, man, this guy's been put the ringer in the UFC. He wins 30-27 across the board. Jordan Johnson having his way in the wrestling department. He could pass. He could work from turtle. He had great wrist control. He was putting striking combinations together. He was just bodying uh, Henrique De Silva in all forms of the game. And he's still very, very new into his, his MMA career. Less than what, eight fights, maybe. Um, he can do a lot of good things. So keep your eye on this kid. Light heavyweight. You know, light heavyweight's got some interesting prospects now. Uh, Jordan Cannonier is up there. You've got this guy. Um, I, I don't know that it's totally fair to say that it's a it's a barren wasteland. I'm not saying that those guys are the next big things, but it's not. Oh, and then Misha Sukunov. Like, we'll see what happens at light heavyweight. Some interesting names coming up there. How about Eric Spicely? Previously featured him on the Monday Morning Analyst, defeating Alessio de Chirico via triangle choke at 214 of the first round. This guy is totally in command, you know? Calm, knows exactly what he wants to do, knows exactly what he needs to do, puts the fight in a, in a place where... He, he can win in a lot of places, but off of his back or on top, really in any kind of grappling context, 
his technique is so sharp. Like there's no, he's not rushing things, but there's no hesitation, right? He mechanically understands what has to happen for something to work and just executes right away, right? So he's not forcing things. He's not he's not throwing up everything he can all at once, but from he knows he has to get from A to B. He knows exactly what has to happen, what conditions have to be established, and then how to produce them, how to find them, how to take advantage of them when they appear, and just walks the course straight across. Boom. It's amazing to watch, really. Uh, Marcos Rogerio de Lima defeating Jeremy Kimball, 227 in the first round via punches. Then the prelim card, Alashanje Pantoja defeating Eric Shelton. Two flyweights huffing for gas here. 29-28, 28-29, 29-28. Jason Gonzalez defeating J.C. Cottrell. Man, that was a super spirited back and forth. Jason Gonzalez getting controlled. J.C. Cottrell. I mean, Gonzalez was squirmy underneath, but Cottrell was basically on top, controlling, threatening, just forcing Gonzalez to react. And then the course of a transition, they get back to their feet, and he locks up the same one. Chael was trying to, gets his hands clasped, slides it around for the three-quarter stack, brings the hand around for a bravo, and then closes the show from there. Didn't even get, you don't need to, but didn't get uh, Cottrell to fall to the hip to finish him off. Just got him there on his base. He's got nice long arms. You can tell it's a choke he's worked on. Got it in transition. All it takes for guys at this level is that much that, that much air, and things can go badly, and you saw it there. Uh, bonuses went to Fire of the Night, not awarded, but Performance of the Night, Valentina Shevchenko, Jorge Masvidal, Francis Ngannou, and Jason Knight. All the winners on the main card. That should tell you a lot. Um, okay, Fighter of the Card for me, of course, is going to be Valentina Shevchenko. Very quickly, Bellator 171, this was not fun at all. Took place at the Kansas Star Casino in Mulvane, Kansas, and of course on Spike TV. Uh, Chidi Njikawani just beating the brakes off Melvin Gillard. This was a very terrible performance from Melvin Gillard. First of all, it took place at a catch weight of 179. Njikawani weighing in, I think, a 180 or something. Um, he looked massive, massive compared to Melvin Gillard, who, as the fight went on, just got abysmally worse. Uh, didn't appear to be in great shape, and... You know, ended the fight on the back of Njikawani, but it didn't matter. Like, Njikawani was spent the, almost the entire third round on top, was lighting him up with body kicks from the outside, stuffing a lot of any kind of attempts at closing the distance, controlling in the clinch, pounding him with, with jabs and cross. I mean, it was just like he basically did whatever he wanted to do. He won 30-25, 30-24, 30-26. I don't buy the 30-24, but I'm not mad at the 30-25, and I'm definitely not mad at the 30-26. This was a terrible fight from Melvin Gillard, who, let me see how many he's lost now in a row. This is not this is not awesome for him. Uh, yeah, he's lost. Wow. Um, since 2012, right? If we just start there, he's lost one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Had two no contests and one three. So he's three, eight, and two. Not good. And in his last, his last. Let's see, one, two, three, four. His last five, he's f- 0-4-1. So, there you go. Not great. Um, let's see. And then, very quickly, um, David Rickles defeated Andrew Darrow back at welterweight. He used to be a previous lightweight, of course, at 44 seconds into the third round. This was a terrible fight. Uh, Rickles just beat on a guy who was grossly overmatched. Jessica Middleton defeated Alice Yager via unanimous decision, 39, excuse me, 29-28. And then two thirty twenty six says AJ McKee, of course, defeating Brandon Phillips. 29 29-28, 29-28, 30-27. Also, just of note, very quickly, Tyrell Fortune winning on the prelim card, as did Jared Trice, two uh, big prospects at heavyweight in Bellator, who, of course, have distinguished um, wrestling credentials. Okay, with that out of the way, 
Let's go and look at Shevchenko versus Pena. Uh, Shevchenko, excuse me, versus Pena. Not the entire thing, just the portions that we can sort of single out about why somebody won, what does it say about him, and that great takedown from Juliana Pena. We'll give her some credit as well. Let's watch that now. Okay, so let's take a look at the uh, Shevchenko versus Pena fight. Not going to go through the whole thing. There's no real point to it. A lot of it was what you're looking at right here, but showing you two basic parts to this. Now, Nunez, excuse me, when I say Nunez, Pena did have an arm bar in the first round, which was a good one, but basically what happened was you see Shevchenko able to um, essentially have her feet facing the head of Pena during that arm bar attempt, so there was, it, you could have cranked it, but it was just harder to do because you just didn't have the right angle, you remember you want to be perpendicular with him, so um, through a bizarre set of scrambling uh, choices made by Shevchenko. She was nevertheless able to put herself in a position to negate the arm bar. So we go to the second round, and this was a great thing that Pena did. You know, got to give her a little bit of credit here. Apparently, according to T.P. Grant, who was a writer over at Bloody Elbow, he was saying that he was watching this fight with a training partner of Pena's, and that this particular takedown they had drilled uh, during the course of the training camp. And so here's how this is going to work. What she's going to try and do is it's not really an outside trip, as much as, as much as it's like an outside foot sweep, and then you turn the top of your body into it. And again, this is going to be one of those takedowns where it's a timing kind of thing you'll see here. What you're going to see is she's going to try and... Here's the basic strategy. Let's pull Shevchenko away from the fence, block one of the feet, and then drive her in that direction at an angle. That's basically the idea. And she tries it once and it doesn't work. So you see she steps out and Shevchenko follows a little bit. And what she tries to do is, she tries to put this on the outside. She's got her head on the right side, Pena does. She's trying to get this foot on the outside of Shevchenko. Shevchenko sees it, though, and steps around, so she kinds of getting you know, in the middle there. And I guess you could do try, you could t try and switch to a trip if you wanted to, but your hips aren't in the right place, your feet aren't in the right place. So they basically let it go. You see she's not quite there. Shevchenko steps out, and then they put their feet down, and she drives her back into the cage. Okay, but you can see where she's going with this. Let's go back now. Let's jump to, I should say, to 213. This is later in the fight. Same thing. Pulls her away from the fence. That's going to create the space she needs to drive at an angle, right? Uh, her, the weight of both fighters is down and back. You see both have bent legs, rear ends behind them. The, the feet are going to follow here. What you want to look for are the feet. See how they're kind of matching? They're almost stepping on each other. That's intentional. They want to be able to follow the other one because if the other one's able to set an angle on you, that's when the, you get the problems, right? So you're going to see this, the left foot slides back. Shevchenko follows with her right. The right foot slides back of Pena. Shevchenko follows. She wants to be you know, mirroring her. But here's what's going to happen. She's going to replace the right almost with the left and then use the right to step around like that. Look at the left foot of Pena. See this? And rather than just sort of going in these kinds of straight lines, she's going to go across. She's going to step across like that. And this one is going to whip out. Now you've got a decent angle. Not perfect. Not actually even all that great. Testament to Pena that she was able to get this because it's not a perfect takedown. But hey, if you get it, you got the job done, right? So here's what she does. She steps out. Now look, barely catches it. You don't need to have, I mean, look, if you catch someone dead to rights, great, but you don't always need to. In, in Marine Corps artillery, you don't have to have a direct hit with, you know, uh, uh, using the howitzer. You just it's, it's an area kill weapon. Same thing here. Just as long as you got just enough area, you're good to go. Catches it. And what you see here is 
Now that weight is planted and she's driving. Look at the body of Pena. She's driving her in that direction when before they were kind of going seesawing out from the fence. Now they got the angle driving this way. But what you can see from Shevchenko is she's trying to get her hips squared to the mat because if she can fall that way, she can scramble and get back to her feet. But this is credit to Pena. She's going to, a la Habib Nurmagomedov, she's going to clip this uh, outside overhook, and she's going to drive this underhook and turn her shoulders. Watch, she's just going to she's going to turn Shevchenko this way, this way. Watch, bink. Look at that. Go back and look. She's kind of got her shoulders facing this. She's going to turn and face her shoulders to the mat, and she's going to bring Shevchenko with her, like that, driving her weight that way the whole time. Now look whose hips are facing the mat. Pena's. Shevchenko, to her credit, realizes she can't be here and then sort of shrimps inside and, and recaptures guard. But this is a nice takedown. This is a nice takedown, right? Gets that outside foot. And look where the underhook is at first. The underhook here is kind of low, not low, but kind of fairly shallow-ish right around the ribs. As soon as she gets that trip and drives the weight, it comes up. She pulls the underhook up and then turns. Look at that. Nice turn. Pulls it right along with her. So this is a great job by Pena. Gets on top. Nice takedown. Great. This is just one of those things where good planning, good execution, it just all worked for them insofar as capturing the takedown. Now, in the end, that wouldn't be enough, but um, it's just nice to see things that you plan in the training room executed correctly out on the playing field, so to speak. So let's jump to this armbar. Now, this is one thing I mentioned previously um, both, uh, well, I'll just say this. this is one thing I mentioned previously because a lot of times you see someone with a guard and they might have decent defensive fundamentals as the guard is closed, but closed guard is a relatively safe space, both with and without the gi. It's when you get to open guard. Open guard is where the offense comes from. I mean, there's offense from closed guard, but at some point you kind of have to open your guard a little bit to get anything really going, unless you're just stalling. And a lot of times you'll see people throw up something and they get past, like, if you want to be able to throw something and then be able to recapture guard, that says something about your guard. It doesn't make you Demi and Maya, but it just shows a degree of sophistication. So she throws up kind of like a sort of a weak high guard armbar triangle attempt, but it wasn't it wasn't a super awesome attempt. But she opens her guard almost like a spider guard here. She has a uh, a foot on the bicep. This one's kind of hanging over the shoulder. I thought she was about to get past here. So what do you see Pena do? Pena steps back to create an opening. A lot of times what happens when people step back like this and she wants to, you can see she's going to put an elbow down to break this hook. You don't ever want to have your ankles grabbed. You don't, you don't ever want to have someone's instep on the back of your knee. That's how they begin to create things, especially if there's a gi on, man. You get this with a gi on, someone's going to grab um, you know, a lapel, they're going to grab a sleeve, they're going to use this to bring them to you. It's just a, it's a form of control you don't want to have. In this particular case, it's not a form of control in as much as it's going to help Shevchenko help herself. But I thought, <coughs> excuse me, I thought she was going to step back. You can see hand on the thigh here. I thought she was going to press and roll over, either come out the other side or at least drop her weight down, put the shoulder in the knee, drive the knee into the chest, and, and, and there's all kinds of different passes that you can get from there. But she kind of rushes it, and Shevchenko actually brings her knee to the inside. You can see the hand. She's going to want to push this by, drop her weight down, and she does, but not quick enough. Shevchenko gets that knee here on the inside, and she gets this knee just on the top space here. Pena still follows down, but now she's really got her weight, her knee captured back to her shoulder. This is really a really... I mean, the hand being trapped is not great, but having this knee close to your shoulder, that's safe space in terms of not getting your guard passed, right? Where are you going to go? She's blocking all the space there. Um, 
So she kind of follows down to make sure she can, I think, let's see, oh yeah. So it looks like she just wants to sort of not lose anything, and so she's going to square her hips in, and Shevchenko's going to come around. Almost threatens here with a triangle. Look at this, if she could have gotten it out faster, but she can't, and then she recaptures full guard. That's a nice job. That's a nice job. A little bit risky here in my judgment. Pulling that instep out like that, that against someone. I mean, I'm not saying Pena's not good. Maybe she just didn't have presence of mind. This is a bit risky in my judgment. And also leaving this here without being able to control their posture. You know, Nogi's a little bit different. But nevertheless, she made it work, right? Never, She never let her knees get too far separated from her chest. Look at her crunched in the abs. Shoulders off the mat. She's leaning in. And then she brings that knee to the inside super quickly before Pena can come down, squares her hips out, and locks up full guard. That's a really nice job. Really nice job. So here's the final sequence. You can see she's got the arm hugged here. Uh, Pena is battering her on top, probably not thinking her arm's in too much damage, right? She's probably been here a million times and, and felt like her arm bar defense is probably really great, right? She, she tries to throw another left hand. Shevchenko reaches out. I thought she was going to grab... I wasn't sure what she was going to grab, but here's what she's going to do. A lot of times people think the armbar is just rolling onto your shoulder with your hips. But the truth about the armbar is you want your chest and their chest pretty close together. I mean, you can even get them touching. Um, you, you want you don't want a lot of space here. If they're sitting upright, you, it's it's virtually impossible to get the armbar. They need, their weight needs to be forward, right? So you can see she's still kind of sitting back on her heels. She's off at an angle a little bit. There's her right elbow. Pay attention to it. But you got to get their posture down on top of you. That's really where the arm bar is. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that's the only way to get it, but that's it's a pretty requisite condition. I mean, some things in MMA and some things in jiu-jitsu you can fudge, and of course this is one of them. But as a general rule, man, you got to get their posture broken. It's going to be hard to get that arm bar otherwise. So what does she do? She grabs onto the back of the shoulder here. Like almost if she was trying to tickle the outside of the armpit or something, right? And she's going to use that forearm in the face too. This is going to allow her to bring this leg up. This is going to go all the way inside to the back of the armpit. It does not stay on the hip if you want to do it correctly. And this one's going to come around the face while this one is controlling the arm. And you can see now her posture is going to get more bent over. What's this going to do? This is going to help pull Pena down as well as helicopter her legs around like this. Boom. Now, here's what's interesting about this. This is great. Look, she's on her shoulders. A lot of new students always sort of start doing arm bars, and they just stay on their hips. Look at her hips. They're high in the air, man. This is, this is, this is where you need to be. And you can see she doesn't quite have it at first. You can see her pushing. She's trying to go this way and push Pena across, and this leg is not across. So what does she do? She keeps rotating underneath. Look at that. Look at her head before. The head's kind of on the outside here. She's going to corkscrew this way, counterclockwise, to get this leg. Now she's kind of over the forehead. Now she's over the face. And she's, going to, she's watch this, crunching her legs. Look at that. I am telling you, man, people don't think about this with the arm bar. She is on her shoulders, hips high in the air. Now she has the appropriate 90-degree angle. And the hamstrings are in play. The hamstrings being in play is super critical. You need to be able to control them together. You want to crunch their head to the side of their shoulder, man. You want to tighten that space altogether. That super limits their mobility. But here's the interesting part about this armbar from Valentina Shevchenko. Um, I'm not going to say it's wrong. Remember, you can get... I'm in no position to be critiquing fighters at this level. But here's one thing just as a... you know, What does the rule book say for whatever the rule book is worth versus what she does? 
the rule book would say, just as she started, look where she starts. She starts at this angle, right? So she's this is the left side of Pena. She goes through all the way, right? Gets perpendicular. If you want to go belly down, what they teach you is, and I'm holding up air quotes, you want to just keep corkscrewing all the way you're around the the way you're already headed. Just keep circling underneath like that and then pop your head out this side. What does she do? She actually stays on this side. Watch this. She crunches and then she comes down. Look, she's looking here to sort of uh, let's see. This is sort of her this is her left ear, yeah? And then her right ear is kind of buried. She wants to be going this way, and I'll explain why in just a second. Here's her left ear. She comes down this side. Okay? Look at this. This is the left ear still. This left ear should be close to the mat. The right ear is close to the mat. Why? Let's take a look in just a second. This is why. Now, again, this arm bar works. So think about why a no-hook rear naked choke doesn't really work very often because you can get it sometimes especially if you have a tremendous squeeze or they're tired or they're hurt but generally speaking if you can't control their body there is a number of available movements and counters of that they can use that having someone's back and tightly placed hooks prevents them from doing you control the body and then you choke the neck so in this particular case, why you want to have your head turned to this side, you want to be looking at their hips, is so that if they move, you can just follow them. That's what you want to be able to do. So you want to be able to, remember when I told you, when you corkscrew, you want to corkscrew this way. She kind of corkscrews halfway and then just goes flat, right? So, but here's how she fixes it. Watch how she ultimately closes the show. Number one, you can tell, look how deep that arm is buried. That's a very, very deep arm bar. So again, hips driving down. Her shoulders still aren't quite there either. She's still she's still looking at uh, Pena, but you want to be looking from this side so you can follow, right? Now she goes, before she's looking to her left, now she's looking straight down. Pena is going to try and come around. As she comes around, here comes that foot, and she steps. Now Shevchenko decides to turn to the correct side. Her hips are kind of on top of her, so she's lost a little bit of the angle. But because the arm is being bent so badly and because it's so deep, well, it's still, you know, again, I don't care if it's a no-hook rear naked choke. I don't care if it's a no-hook rear naked choke by a white belt. If a choke is tight or an arm bar is tight, you have to respect it. And you can see Pena is definitely having to respect it. Shevchenko had a nice deep arm bar from guard that she has now turned into a belly down arm bar. And these belly down arm bars, man, they go zero to 60. Your whole weight is driving down, plus you have the force of gravity. Even if it's not quote unquote perfectly applied, things can go badly. But watch what she does now. She's actually going to scoot underneath. Now she's turning the correct way. She follows and she comes out. Look at this. Look how much she turns in just the span of a second. Here on her shoulders, Pena doesn't really move. Pena's basically in the same spot, and she's even further underneath. Look at that. Crazy, right? Boom. Super underneath. And then comes out on top. This is that position. Look at this. It's the same position that Shevchenko found herself in against Pena in the first round, just not nearly as deep. Not nearly as deep. And in other words, feet close to the face, right? Sort of perpen um, upside down on them versus perpendicular. But this is, I mean, it's a deep arm bar and you just have to respect it. Uh, and then finally she closes the show here and gets the tap. But look at that arm. 
That's nasty. But eventually, my point is, she started out looking the wrong way, corrected herself before it was too late, and came out with a vicious, nasty armbar that was aided by the fact that it was so deep from the beginning. One more thing about this from Pena's point of view that I think she just couldn't do. This speaks to how deep the armbar is. Here, you would want to have your ankles up, same way you would on the armbar. Remember, we went and look real quickly, right? Go here. Remember how we wanted to see her ankle close to her, you, you, know, you want to flex the hamstrings, right? You want to keep that even as you go belly down. You don't want your legs super straight out. And she kind of goes a little bit straight here. Yep, you see that? Still, there's still a bend in it. Don't get, look, do not misunderstand me. This thing will break your arm. It'd break my arm. It'd break your arm. It's, it's in there, okay? I'm uh, just saying sort of things that can be tightened up to the point. But here's the point. You never see Pena use her free hand to push down on the on the back of this leg and the hamstrings. Uh, that's one way to lessen the impact of the of the armbar. My guess is why she didn't was she was still reaching here, and two, she was reaching here because it was so deep already. So uh, a couple of things that weren't right with this armbar. Initially, Shevchenko looking the wrong way. She eventually corrects that and looks the correct way across the armbar. Um, you know, you want to look to the inside, not to the outside. But she gets it right just in time. Turns into it, comes out on top, right? Boom, there she is. And Pena never uses that free hand to assist here. Again, all these things are easier said than done. This is not a super hard critique. I'm just saying it was interesting to note that wasn't a part of any kind of defense. That tells me that this was in big trouble from an early stage. And she she just didn't want to risk giving up her hands um, together. Because maybe if she thought, maybe if she put this there, that would just make it even faster of an armbar. Uh, just something to think about for future armbars that you see go belly down. So you know what? Shevchenko showing what I would call a, a, a very competent guard, a good guard. Um, just, you know, did the, did the jiu-jitsu super wow and impress everyone in the building? You know, is this Demi and Maya? I'm not saying it's that kind of level, but clearly it is a mistake to not treat her as a well-rounded mixed martial artist. Defensively, she is sound. And offensively, if you don't take her as seriously as you should, she will make you pay. Still think she's obviously going to be more primarily known as a striker, but this arm bar is a wake-up call for everyone. She was able to adjust in the middle. She submitted a very good grappler in Juliana Pena, and she did it by keeping sound fundamentals the whole time. Even when she made a mistake, she corrected it before it was too late. This is not someone to be trifled with. This is someone who has well-rounded abilities, and I, I don't think it's in any way... Um, a a some sort of a, a irrational thing to say she can get that title. It is very much within her grasp. This is a championship caliber fighter. And last but certainly not least, let's take a look at what's coming up in the week ahead. Uh, Bellator 172 is not going to be till the 18th of February, so it's going to be a little while. So I think the next big one is just UFC Fight Night 104. This is the return of the Korean zombie. I think many of you, including me, are very excited about this. Uh, this will take place at the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. Excuse me. Uh, February 7th, it will air on Fox Sports 1, except, of course, for two bouts on the preliminary card. It is headlined by Dennis Bermudez facing off against Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie. The co-main event, Alexa Grasso taking on Felice Herrig. Then you have Abel Trujillo taking on uh, James Vick. Ovin St. Preux versus Volcan Oedzamar. Oedzidamar. Proper pronunciation, hard to come by. Anthony Hamilton is back on quick notes after being finished off by uh, Francis Ngannou at UFC Albany to take on uh, Marcel 
Fortuna. Then you have Jessica Andrade taking on Angela Hill on the preliminary card. You have Adam Milstead versus Curtis Blades. Chaz Skelly versus Chris Garutzamacher. Uh, Ricardo Ramos taking on Michinori Tanaka. Tisha Torres taking on Beck Rawlings. And then your fights on Fight Pass. Alex Morno versus Nico Price. And then Daniel Jolly taking on Khalil Roundtree. So, be on the lookout for that. Okay, that's it. If you got any questions, email me at luke.thomas at sbnation.com. I am on Twitter at sbnlukethomas. I always appreciate a follow, like this video, share it around. And until next time, ladies and gents, enjoy the fights.